Hello and welcome to You Would Like to Enjoy This. No, that, uh, that's not right. You have heard this. No, so close. We're seeing movies. Uh-uh, no. Uh, uh, you, uh, you should shop for a thing. It's you need to see this. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the thing we host. Okay, welcome to You Need to See This. Great. Uh, it's a weekly film podcast about filling the gaps in our collective cinematic experience. I'm Cozy Orland, and I am joined by my co-host... Luce Tomlin Brenner. Boom. We're comedians, writers, filmmakers, and fans of the Duplass Brothers to various degrees. Uh, every episode, one of us tries to convince the other and the audience that they need to see a specific film. And we do it all with no spoilers. No spoilers. That's right. No spoilers. Only cool noises like that. (laughs) I do make a lot of noises, so be prepped for that. Oh, I will. I'll keep my eardrums super prepped. Um, Good. And before... And before we talk about today's movie, what we're going to do is a segment that we get to do sometimes, which is exciting. And it's a segment where someone has seen something that we've recommended, one of us or the other one. It's called We Saw It, and Luce saw something. I saw something, yes. So the whole idea of the podcast is that we convince each other to watch movies we haven't seen. So, Cozy, you convinced me to watch We Are the Best. Oh, Awesome. Yes, this was an episode uh, that we that you did back in May um, about three teenage girls, three 13-year-olds in Sweden who uh, start a punk band together, and it really resonated with me. Um, awesome. And I, so I was excited to watch it, and I, mm-hmm. oh, man, it was so good, and it was really kind of heart-wrenching in moments that I wasn't prepared for it. Like, it was very, very emotional. Oh, 100%. Absolutely. I'm so glad you liked it. I loved it. I definitely needed to see it. And I agree and (laughs) stand with you when uh, you say you need to see it. I think everybody should check this movie out. I know we were specifically connecting over our punk roots, but this is a movie that anybody who's been 13 can appreciate you don't have to have a punk background unless you were a popular kid then go suck an egg <laughs> yeah take that yeah you have mean girls you can relate to regina george <laughs> uh, i loved this movie so much i really related to uh Hedvig, who is sort of like the nerd whose mom is like overprotective and so <laughs> yeah oh i was about to ask which one if, oh. if you had like a favorite or anything like that i want to be clara but i'm head big <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's too real. I relate. I get it. <laughs> because I was the only one whose like parents cared what I was doing. So like I couldn't be cool because they were so overprotective about like how I looked and what I wore and where I was, what I was doing. Oh no. So I was definitely I had the mom that would invite you over and then yell at you invite your friends over to yell at them for messing up your hair. <laughs> that's so terrible is a scene in the movie <laughs> oh my god that's so funny uh, i also thought they did a really great job of capturing the ways in which uh older boys and even young men are like super inappropriate to young teenage girls like oh totally the feeling of like being sexualized or objectified before you're ready like these girls were ready to like protest and like talk about big issues 
been because of that, they were put into the sphere, you know, artistically with older people who older guys who are then commenting on their looks. And those guys were probably like 16, 17, 18. And it is just so fucking gross and so inappropriate and so weird when you're like 12 and 13 to then be conscious of like your body and then know that there's like these physical things that people either want to do with you or don't want to do with you, depending on how you're looking. And like, I don't know, I was at that age and I was just psyched to like kiss maybe. <laughs> like, <laughs> just not thinking about other stuff. Basically just want to do like a little light French kissing, like on the playground and then go play with my American girl dolls. Like I was yeah. not fully like ready to step into the world of like teenage boys. So I really related to the moments where these girls had to butt up against these older guys who were not cool oh god they were the worst and it was so great to see the response that they gave to them and all that stuff yes i really loved how the girls are so firm in their identity and what they want and what they want to do and i thought that was so empowering and exciting to watch and something that's really important for young girls to see and like this is i guess it's rated r because they say fuck a bunch but i think this is definitely appropriate (laughs) for like girls like this is something I would show to my kids um and I really liked watching them get better together as a band there's very so exciting music movies where you're like oh they start it not knowing anything and then they're like (laughs) pretty good at the end and they don't win the you know (laughs) the local rock show and everybody hates them but (laughs) it all comes from this very misogynist place so i still thought it was like a win and they love each other so much and they they weren't shaken by no one else liking them and that's such an important takeaway to apply to life yeah oh absolutely just like staying firm in your personality and understanding understanding that like on a base level you're a good person and no one can really take that away from you yeah that's fucking hard at that age i think i was like constantly i didn't have that type of um assurance in myself I got a lot of negative feedback at 13 and I was just trying to figure out how to like not to be like more likable (laughs) oh no I'm so sorry that's awful yeah it was very rough I had some really good friends at that age though I just uh people were so mean at my junior high like very very mean and kind of crazy like people were getting into fights constantly there are tons of fights and so I was just like terrified of being beat up like every day (laughs) oh god that's awful and that's the worst I'm so sorry thank you and I was like please don't beat me up how can I be more like you I will get uh, oh no let me just see if my mother would get me a Nike Air Jordans (laughs) so that I can be cool she did not oh no she got me knockoffs oh no and they were like any difference is bad let's get her (laughs) exactly oh no fuck that so i wish i i wish i could have been punk at 13 but uh, i got there by like 16 so (laughs) yeah it just takes everybody different times (laughs) i loved it i hope everybody watches it it's still up on youtube i rented it from videotech the store that i work at now so uh, if you're in the la area we have it on dvd and blu-ray and you can come rent it from me my fucking face I'll give it to <laughs> Go rent it from her face. <laughs> so thank you, Cozy. That was a really great pick. I'm happy I got to watch it. Oh, good. And I'm so glad that you watched it. Everybody else, follow suit. <laughs> watch it and let us know. 
Yes. Uh, so today we're going to be talking about a different movie that I'm going to recommend that Luce and everybody else watches. And that is 2016's romantic and nostalgic film Blue Jay, which is a movie that almost nobody seems to have seen. No, like, I haven't. Every seen time. It. Yeah, that's the thing. Every time I bring it up, no one knows what the fuck I am talking about. And Luce, you need to see this. I really like the Duplass brothers, so I'm really surprised that this uh, went over my head that I missed it. But you said 2016? 2016. That was a wild year for me. That was the year that I was like on tour for most of the year, and like my ex-husband and I got divorced, and I lived in like three different places. So yeah, it was like... Yeah, this was low on the list. (laughs) Yeah, I missed a lot that happened in 2016. (laughs) Uh, well, this is the one thing that you get to get back and the one thing that's worth getting back. Nothing else during that year could ever matter. Okay, <laughs> I'm putting all of, all of my hopes and dreams for 2016 are Blue Jay related. Perfect. Uh, yeah, well, I'm not surprised that this one uh, that this one went under your radar because this is a, a slow, emotional, atmospheric drama in black and white that had a limited, <gasps> limited release. So, of course, nobody fucking saw it or heard of it. Yeah, but Cozy, that's my thing. I love everything you just said. Like a film that <laughs> would irritate everyone else. Like, let me pop by and tell you it's so perfect. <laughs> Yeah. Oh well, I'm glad that I get to add this to your to your uh, your list of good uh, of good indies. Yeah, definitely. I'm so excited. I well, you brought this up to me a couple weeks ago, and I so I that I did hear about it when you told me about it then. But I have been diligently trying not to learn anything about it beyond Mark Duplass's involvement. So I'm very to, glad to hear that. Yes, and I've been wanting to because I like I'm already like a little convinced. Uh, <laughs> but I've been really trying to not think about it at all. So clean slate. Come at clean me. Clean slate is Clean Slate is really good for this movie. Uh, I watched a lot of clips online um, because I was trying to find some like audio clips to put at the end of this. And even all of those clips are spoilery. And I was just like, fuck this. Yeah, it's a it's a growthy kind of movie where you gradually learn. The growthy is a terrible word for this. Yeah, it's kind but of it's not a movie great. Where you, <laughs> it's not great for anything, really. <laughs> Maybe you have chills. Oh, no, I'm so sorry. Blech. Uh, so this movie is one in which you organically and progressively learn more about it. And because of that, almost anything in it uh, is a little spoilery for the sake of missing that cool growth. Wow. How are you going to do this so that you don't spoil it for people? Because this is a podcast with oh. no, spoilers. no spoilers. I found a couple ways. Okay. All right. But before. But before we hit all those ways, uh, I should probably mention that I've only seen uh, three other Duplass Brothers movies. Uh, I've only seen Cyrus, The One I Love, and Skeleton Twins. Oh, nice. Yeah, I... (laughs) The one that I love, I hate so much. (laughs) (laughs) It's one of the few films that makes me feel furious but i think he just per- he was starred in it and produced it maybe but i don't think he didn't yeah they all pro- they all produced those things oh listen that movie had a great premise and a terrible execution in my opinion oh wow i haven't seen it in a while like since it came out so i don't really remember enough about it That's but true. i wouldn't be surprised i saw it when it came out and then i like hulked my way out of the theater like <laughs> i was so mad i couldn't <laughs> stop talking about it for a week i felt like they had they had wasted my time and then and then i watched the second movie they made without realizing they made it because jason siegel is in it i think it's called the discovery and i was like oh Oh, jason siegel like this premise sounds so good 
Um, <laughs> and it was the exact same fucking thing. It was an amazing premise with terrible yeah. execution. It is called The Discovery. And that I watched it and it was the second movie I watched that made me outrageously angry. And those two movies have made me angrier than any other movies I've ever watched. Whoa, what redeemed Duplass for you? Well, because he doesn't so I saw like their movies like back in the early aughts that were came out that came out. So like mm-hmm. the one that I love, that was like four or five years ago, right? Six years ago, yeah, maybe. Something like that. So I saw like Puffy Chair and Beghead and Cyrus and Jeff Who Lives at Home, like when all those came out. And those were the movies that like they made. So I was like, yeah, like they, they wrote and direct. So I was really into those. And then it's like, I don't know, when people produce films, like you can't really, oh, I don't know. I don't think you can really blame them uh, if they produce something and star in something. It's not really the same. Yeah, absolutely. Even though it seems like for for these guys, it seems like their involvement is always like a little bit more than the average producer for those. But it it probably is movie to movie, too. I just I didn't think that the one that I love felt very much like their style at all. So Hmm. I decided to not blame them at all for it. That sounds like a good way to do things. I think that I think that anybody who uh, blames them for for movies that they didn't like and then skips this because of it is missing out yeah exactly plus um i don't think they actually did the discovery either i think they didn't they didn't have anything to do with that one so that was yeah that was like so my my beef is with uh charlie mcdowell so he's Uh, the one who did Mm -hmm. uh the discovery and the one that i love or the one i love Uh. sorry i keep wanting it to be like a different title (laughs) <laughs> that's okay uh okay well i mean i like that there's someone in common for both of those aside from just duplass folks that definitely is a, a helpful thing to know yeah oh this guy is fucking my age god i hate when somebody is my age and they're more successful than me but they haven't done anything good with their success Anyways. <laughs> uh yeah that sounds like artists i get it <laughs> um uh, so yeah, I, I had only seen three other uh, Duplass movies, and uh, so I was, but I've never been like a crazy super fan, even though I really, really like Skeleton Twins a ton, and I'm like, Cyrus is cool, I like parts of it a lot, but I didn't remember disliking anything. Yeah, I like but Cyrus. for me... Hmm. Oh, I was just going to agree, I liked Cyrus. It was supposed to take place in Michigan, I think, though, and it was clearly filmed here. Oh, uh, that's always a weird feeling. <laughs> Yeah, uh, this one this one is filmed in uh, in a couple small places in California, um, uh, one of them being Twin Peaks, and the oh. other one being Crestline. And I yeah, uh, and you can I didn't know where it was shot before. I I was just like, oh, this just looks like a specific like sort of a hometown, a small town. But I'll get to that in a sec. <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah, Crestline is just like down uh, the highway, like an hour uh, east of oh. here. Yeah, Isaac's mom lives there. Oh, very cool. Yeah, it's like a That's very... area. Oh my god. Like militia type people. <laughs> well, if she if she hasn't seen this movie, she definitely needs to see this movie. Great. I'll because... let her know. <laughs> Perfect. Uh let me tell you the synopsis about this one. Um, and that'll kind of key into that a little bit more. Awesome. Yeah, I'm also doing these a little bit out of order because I know we normally do with written, starring, directed, but I'm like, synopsis first, so people out there listening and you uh, have a good concept of what it's about. Great. And then I'm going to get into the details of how it was made. I'm excited. Awesome. Uh, So here's a synopsis that I cobbled together based on 
um, some stuff that uh, Mark Duplass said and some stuff that I felt about it and junk. Uh, on a visit to his hometown, uh, Jim runs into Amanda, who he hasn't seen in over 20 years. The two decide to catch up and they spend the day together reflecting on their shared history and where they are now. Hmm. Yeah, it's a very simple, simple film. Yeah, that definitely, uh, that's kind of the fun thing about going home. I feel like I always run into people from another time. Yeah, that's a big thing for this movie. Mm. It is very focused on nostalgia and the past and that feeling of going home to your hometown. Hmm. Okay. Uh, yeah, and I don't want to talk too much about their history because that feels a little spoilery because at the beginning of this movie, they do kind of throw you in and you're like, oh, okay, all right. I'm just kind of learning everything as I go. And you get these little breadcrumbs and you just learn more and more and you're like, oh, okay, this is who they are to each other and this is their past and stuff. Okay, cool. That sounds really interesting. Yeah, this was really fun to rewatch and really sad to rewatch. Just great. Uh, so this movie is starring Mark Duplass and Sarah Paulson. And oh, mm-hmm. I love Sarah. Go Paulson. for it. I love her. Well, then this movie is going to make you very happy. Oh, great. So they're the two leads. I mean, I, I knew Mark Duplass was, but. Guess what? Not only are they two, are they the two leads? There's only one other actor in the whole fucking movie. Oh, dang. Who is it? Uh, he, watch this. Uh, it is a guy named Clue Gulliger. <laughs> Which is a crazy person name. CLU <laughs> is the first name. Uh, yep. And Clu- yep. Julia Gulia. <laughs> yes, he is another Sandler creation. <laughs> wow, I love it. Oh my God. Perfect. Um, yeah, he's the only other person in this movie. Uh, and he uh, has a, a really long history of being in a lot of films and TV and things like that. Uh, and the two things that he was in that I thought would be best to name check for you mm-hmm. was uh, Mr. Walsh in A Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Oh, interesting. And Bert in Return of the Living Dead. <gasps> Whoa. So he's like, was mostly just in like genre stuff. And then weirdly this movie. <laughs> well, no, actually, that's the thing is that I didn't find a lot of other, um, may- maybe, I'll say maybe, but he's been in so, so, so many that it's hard for me to really uh, pigeonhole him in any specific direction. Huh. Wow. Yeah, I was, when I saw those before I saw anything else on IMDb, I was like, oh my God, I'm going to give Luce such a like long list of cool 80s horror movies and this is really going to be exciting. But then there were pretty much only those two and maybe like a couple more that were 80s horror movies. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, I'd never heard of this guy. And uh, I can't place like what those characters look like. Yeah, I I was wondering myself because I was like, I got to look at the pictures from Return of Living Dead and be like, who is Bert? What did he do? He's yeah. a guy with a bat. That's all I saw. <laughs> that makes sense. There's a lot of bats in that movie. It does seem like it. Um, so uh, the movie was written by Mark Duplass uh, very loosely. Oh. He wrote a two-page outline and got Sarah Paulson on board with that outline. And then they met with the director and three other producers multiple times to develop a 15 to 20-page narrative structure through telling super honest stories from their lives. Hmm. Yeah. And then uh, so Duplass wrote scenes the night before filming them specifically so they would be impossible to memorize and didn't block them and it was just tons of improv and trust Mm. and they shot it in a week wow i love it 
it was so it sounded so cool to me because I had no concept of any of that when I saw it. And then I watched all these interviews and I was like, whoa, they really they really came in with nothing and they made so much magic out of it. Wow, I really, really love that. I that's one of the things I like about the Duplass brothers a lot is they're really grounded and focused on um, conversation and character development and like intimacy. But they also is there's a lot of improv and they work with their actors and Lynn Shelton does the same thing, which, you know, they work together or they worked together a lot, but that like, yeah, we're going to develop what these characters think and say together. And like you pick actors based on what you know they can do, not like how good they are at saying your words. It's almost like you want the actor for what they're going to bring creatively beyond memorizing your own writing. Exactly. It gives so much faith in who they are. It shows so much faith in in them being a creative collaborator. Oh, I love that so much. I wonder how much it cost. Like, I wonder how much they spent on like what the budget was. Yeah, um, I don't remember, but that is a very good question. They they kept the crew very small. Um, they they were very much like, you know, if it fails, it fails. But we gave it a shot, you know. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Um, it looks like they, it only made twenty one thousand dollars. So <laughs> that it only made twenty one thousand dollars. Yeah. <laughs> that I'm so glad we're doing this episode. Everyone else needs to make that number go way fucking up because this movie is worth much more than that. Yeah, I'm not sure if this is like I'm not sure how it works because like Netflix seems to be the distributor. So who knows what their deal with Netflix was? But it, I guess it had like a small theatrical opening, so that was just like their box office like opening. Yeah, they they had a yeah. Oh, gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, this was I think one of the four. Uh, this was like the first entry in four um, th- productions that were uh, part of a Netflix contract. Oh, okay, makes sense. Yeah. Okay, so this movie it was directed and DP'd by Alex Lehman. Uh, he was a camera operator on a ton of TV shows, including The League from 2012 to 2014, where he met Mark. Oh. He also cam opt on the Henry Rollins show. Interesting. I love The League. Oh, I've never actually seen it, but I've been wanting to for a long time. One day. It's got a lot of great improv in it. (laughs) That's what I hear. And uh, the only other things that Alex has directed were also Duplass Productions. uh, Asperger's or Us uh, in 2016, uh, before Blue Jay, and then Paddleton in 2019. Hmm. I hadn't seen either of those. Yeah, I haven't either, but I've heard a lot of really, really great things about Asperger's or Us. I, I believe that was that documentary um, about oh. that comedy troupe. Yes, I know what you're talking about yeah. now. Yeah, but I haven't seen it. Yeah, same. It sounded really cool. And because he has this uh, this background in doing cam op stuff and also documentary stuff, he's like the perfect person to be chosen to cover kind of an improvised uh, movie, or at least partially improvised. Oh, yeah, good point. That's... um. I kind of felt that way about um, the guy who directed and DP'd Another Earth because his background was in documentary. I talked about that on our episode and like it was very much shot like a documentary and it it helped it feel really like um, like it was a real thing that could be happening. Oh, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, this one this one didn't necessarily feel like a documentary, but it did feel um, it did feel like a very honest sort of movie and it did feel like they were capturing bits of surprise magic. Yeah. uh, Intimate sounds like. 
Yeah, I would say so. Um, but but also, uh, there are a lot of shots of like uh, of the the surroundings, and there's all this atmospheric music playing during it. And so at the same time, it just felt like going home a little. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Uh, so that's basically all the stuff that I have to say before we get into some things. Uh, what are your first impressions? Um, my first impression is that this sounds exactly like the kind of movie that I like. And yeah. I'm I'm very open to it. And I really like uh, black and white movies a lot like especially when people choose to do that artistically for modern films i think it you only do that if you're really choosing to portray it in a way that'll add something you know like that it means something so i'm excited to see what how black and white film can contribute to this story i thought it was used really great in roma and in uh francis ha Oh, right. Yeah, I still haven't seen either of those, but I've been wanting to. Yeah, uh, well, I love both of them for very different reasons and highly recommend them both. And uh, even though Clerks was chosen to do in black and white because black and white film was cheaper, I think it really lends authenticity to that story as well. So it's... Oh, absolutely. With uh, with the security cam footage, no question. Yes, yeah, exactly. Absolutely looks like a security cam. Um, oh, it's so cool. Um, I just remembered there is something I wanted to say before I got into the reasons. Um, and that's sort of the reason that I went and saw the movie in the first place. Oh, yeah. Tell me what was like, your experience doing that? Totally. Uh, so I remember this looking like a version of the Before Trilogy, actually, which is obviously super, super deep in my heart. So I went and saw it because I was like, I want this to be like those movies. Yes, that we did an episode about in February. That's right, Valentine's. Mm, interesting. Yeah, and it it turned out to be a lot like the Before Trilogy for me, and it's very different and very similar. Like, they do spend 24 hours together. It's super focused on the two of them and no one else, and it feels the most like Before Sunset mm. because they have, like, a shared history, and there's all this reminiscing. Uh, and, yeah, unlike the trilogy, it's about reminiscing and it's about nostalgia rather than philosophy. Mm. Yeah, I love that. I have um, I have like a good friendship with my high school boyfriend and whenever I'm he lives in our hometown. Uh, so um, I would say like half the times when I go back home, we end up connecting and having like a really nice time together. And yeah. I it like really means a lot to me that we have stayed friends over the last 20 years basically. And that we've gotten to see each other grow and build our lives and having that history of being so, so close. He was like my first, my first love. Uh, oh, perfect. I love it. Yeah. That's, that's very much uh, a lot of that is very much like what this movie is. I don't want to spoil too much of, of, of what the relationship was, but like you're, you're hitting the heart of it. <laughs> Great. So yeah, that's what I'm feeling like very inclined towards this movie. I'm excited to hear more reasons. Great, because I have five of them and they're very exciting. <laughs> Perfect. Let's do it. Awesome. Okay. So in the first, uh, in the first, uh, okay, my first reason, that's a better way of putting it. Uh, in interviews, I saw Mark uh, Duplass constantly using two emotional terms and that's uh, nostalgia and melancholy. And mm. before I had seen the interviews, I was like, this is a nostalgic movie. It is about nostalgia. And I see the melancholy there too. But 
those two things describe me so much. <laughs> mm, you're a very nostalgic person. Yes, very nostalgic, very full of melancholy. And so going to see this, I was just like, Jesus, okay, mm -hmm. I'm a sucker for this one. <laughs> okay, yeah, I would say that's me too. Oh, good. Perfect. Uh, so that actually um, reminds me, I got a clip together that I would love to play for you right now. And it's from an interview with uh, Mark Duplass about this movie. So uh, we're going to play that right now. And I wanted it to feel the way you feel when you go home for the holidays and you're looking through your room and your closet and you're finding old letters and old pictures and you're remembering who you thought you were going to be and you're reckoning with who you are now and it's never the same thing and sometimes that's good and sometimes that's bad yeah. but it always makes you feel so deeply <laughs> yeah that's a uh, very relatable <laughs> uh, oh good i'm so glad to hear that you know honestly i feel like that happens to me constantly because i don't have much stuff at my parents house anymore um i have a lot mm. of things here especially like i was kind of like our group's documentarian like i always i've had a camera since i was like 10 and so i was like always taking pictures every sleepover every trip to the mall anytime we went to cedar <laughs> point anytime we went anywhere i was taking pictures so i have like a pretty pretty well documented life between like you know the time i was 10 until like 25 26 when i like did no longer had a digital camera and now of course everything's on the phone but also as i got older i was like less likely to take as many group pictures of people, I think. Um, sure. But yeah, I mean, I was actually just looking through all of my high school photos recently to send some of, because I've been being like um, pen pals with some of my high school friends lately, and we were sending things back and forth to each other. Uh, oh, that's great. During the pandemic is like, you know, a fun way to keep in touch and keep the post office going. So <laughs> uh, yes, I just pulled like a ton of pictures from high school that I've been uh, dividing up and like sending to different people. So really. Oh, that's so awesome. Yeah. I love seeing old stuff like that. Oh yeah. And it's so weird. Cause it's true. Like that is you, but it isn't you. And like, it's very strange. This is a concept I think about a lot and I would really like to explore in my future work as well. The idea that you are many people over the course of your lifetime. Yeah, it's so true. And it's so, it's so easy for people to just assume that it's, a binary on some way and and everyone kind of forgets to self-evaluate the older they get so mm -hmm. they are whoever they were in their mind and they're just or they just stop thinking about it mm. just fades yes or they're scared that being different means something bad about them like they great call yeah they want to be who other people know them to be and i know that's something that i've butted up against um a lot mm. just moving to LA and, and working really hard to, you know, build a, a creative career that will pay you um, takes a lot of work and a lot of time. And it's, you know, before COVID, I was spending 12 hours a day just trying to make this happen. And because of that, other things that you used to do or that you want to do or the amount of time you could spend catching up with friends or doing social things like really changed a lot for me and not being available to some of my older friends from home was changed our, some of my relationships a little bit and made things difficult. Sometimes it was something I had to learn how to rebalance and not like, 
But I definitely came up against some people who were like, you're changed. You're like an L.A. asshole now. You don't have time for anybody anymore. It's like, Jeez, that's awful. Oh, and it's hard because it's like, yeah, maybe I'm not I'm not being the friend that I was because I just can't do three hour phone calls anymore <laughs> because I like literally will never stop working in boutiques if I, you know, if, if I don't put in extra time working on creative stuff. So it's really it's difficult. Anytime you try to do anything that's uh, different than maybe what you did even five years ago, Uh I mean, you have you always been doing working towards comedy and writing, Cozy? I I have. Um, I have always been working towards comedy. Uh, since I was nine, I've been doing improv, which is insane. But um, that's amazing. But I, I will. <laughs> yeah, it's insane, and I love it. It makes me so happy, but also so sad that I can't do it right now. Um, but yeah, I, I noticed that when I was a kid, I used to watch eight hours of TV a day, which is a fair amount. And then, uh, I would say after moving here, um, and after a certain number of years, I stopped watching any TV at all, probably around the time of my divorce or maybe a little bit after that, uh, or maybe even before it a little, because the VHS tapes I was recording everything on just kept uh, piling up and it was just like nine hours of shows that I didn't have time to watch. Mm, my God. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. So I just kind of dropped that. And as I did, I was producing more and more comedy shows and just moved all the way over from consumption to production. Mm. And that was a major life rebalance that I never thought about. I just kind of faded into. Mm-hmm. And then after a while, after several years, I was just like, what am I, how does my life go? What are things that I do? I just remember the things I used to do what have those been replaced with? It feels like nothing. Yes. Yeah. I think it's because a lot of the stuff we do is live. And so it's hard to quantify it as much. Absolutely right. It's not many, many, many VHS tapes stacked up against your television. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're all covered in dust now because I still haven't watched them. <laughs> <laughs> those just have some really good commercials on them, though. Oh, they have okay ones. It's only 2013 and oh, stuff. Okay. Those weren't that point. good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not like 1991. God, I wish. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I, n- I never really took stock of who I became. And I've been working a little towards that, but not nearly as much as I should be. Um, and a lot. Uh, what I found, it sounds like for you, this is a little different. But for me, I feel like no one else is going to tell me who I am. Mm -hmm. No one else is going to do it for me. So I kind of have to sit down and do it for myself. Mm -hmm. Well, no, I think that that's true. I think that's true for everybody. Like you really have Mm. to figure it out what it is that you need and you have to do that because people may check in with you or they may tell you what they think, but they're not doing the work for you and you have to live with Mm. your decisions every single day. So there are lots of you know, I, my mom specifically was constantly always, no matter what career I had for a few years, she was always being like, oh, I really think you'd be great as a lawyer. Like, I've always thought oh, wow. you'd be great oh, at no. doing this. And I would have to be like, I am currently working in my career of choice. And it took yeah. like a very long time. And now that I've been doing comedy for 10 years, there's just, there's an acceptance. But to get that acceptance, I had to work so hard in the beginning at being like, I am a comedian. I am a comedian. I am a comedian. And that was pushed up against a lot of 
well, no, you're not for these reasons. Or no, you're not for these reasons. Or like, what? No, you're a social worker. You work in social. You've done counseling. I don't I don't think you can be a comedian. Like a lot of pushback to switch over. And then Jeez, eventually wow. that went away. But like, I think anytime you make choices and then you change your path at all, it's very difficult. You'll constantly come up about against what people think of you and you'll hear things that like I always thought this would happen for you or I never expected you would do this and like that's really difficult that stuff can really fuck with you if you're not feeling confident in you know your own direction yeah I believe that very very much I I think that the like because my dad uh passed away in 2010 um both both my mom and dad weren't super super pressury in any specific direction they were very supportive and so with just my mom i don't feel like my mom has ever been like what are you doing towards your crew what's your thing what's your you know you should be doing this or that she's very chill so i've never felt like reminded of any of any sort of stuff so i've always kind of let it not exist or have had the responsibility for me to make it exist Mm. That's great. So when you look at old pictures of yourself, you're not like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, when I when I look at the old pictures of myself, I'm like, oh, he's so adorable. What a cute kid. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then the older you the older I get uh, or the older the photographs get, the more I'm like, oh, wow, I had an awkward teenage year, uh, teenagehood and I look real weird. <laughs> and then at some point I just never changed anymore. And I feel like I still have the same look I did in like a little after college or college. <laughs> like I've been here for 11 years and I feel like I look almost the same. Yeah. I definitely have had the same look since I moved to LA. I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm in it now. I'm <laughs> except for, I don't know if I'll ever be able to get my hair bleached again. So I might just have like uh brown hair depending on how long COVID lasts. <laughs> it's coming Whoa. back. Uh, oh my God. No, now's the time to go blue, right? <laughs> I guess I did. I had blue hair when I was 18 and I think it was perfect for when I was 18. I don't know if it's (laughs) like the look that 30s Luce needs. Yeah, no, it's, it's all about, it's all about figuring that process out. It's all about figuring that out or not at all figuring it out and just kind of ignoring it. (laughs) (laughs) They're both good. It's easy to do right now, but yeah, I'm, I'm extremely nostalgic. It's very hard. I have to, I have to always work at like, this was a very fun time, but there were also terrible things that were happening. And like, you got yourself out of like hard, like, it's good that this time is over. Like, yes, yeah, I miss being drunk with my best friends in college and like going to eighties night and dancing to Duran Duran. Like that was one of the best times of my entire life. But I was also very like lost. Uh, I didn't know what I was really going to do after college. I was very like, Uh, I was working in crisis centers and stuff. And so I was dealing with like a lot of really heavy domestic violence and sexual assault things. And like, damn, I'm so glad. That's the thing that's not in a picture though. So when you look back at pictures and you're like, man, look at this great time. And I feel really (laughs) nostalgic for college. And sometimes I'm like, I just wish I could go back to college. It's so much easier. But like, man, it wasn't it. Like I didn't have any therapy. I was, my mind was like way more anxious and I was so much more worried all the time than I am now but it's hard to have like a picture of like oh like I hope when I look at selfies (laughs) 10 years from now I can be like man 
Look what good therapy she had. Look at this selfie. Yeah. Oh, yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's what I was just about to say, too. I was like, yeah, in 10 years, you're going to feel the same way about that than you did about college and all that stuff. It's just like, it's weird. You know, everything. I feel like I'm not having as much fun now. Well, and nobody is. This is a terrible time. Uh, this is all about the work <laughs> getting through. The time. <laughs> uh, but in general, I don't mean COVID and protesting. But like, in general, my 30s aren't really as fun as I was kind of, you know, my past, the past decade, the twenties were way more fun, but I'm mm -hmm. so much healthier now. And so technically that's also fun. It just isn't a photo <laughs> that photographable, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah, no, it's just feelable. <laughs> yes. Oh, so yeah, I love that quote. All of that was, uh, <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I'm really going to, I'm very excited. Every moment I'm getting more excited about this movie. That's fucking awesome. I'm so glad to hear that. Uh, the second reason that I think you need to see this is because it feels very honest and real, partially because it's built from people and their experiences, you know, that process of him putting it together with the with the five other people, the producers and director and the actors. Um uh, all, all from their own life experiences, like taking antidepressants, and Sarah, Sarah Paulson's actual love of animals is in there, and there are actually quotes in this movie from Mark's journal that he wrote at age fifteen, mm -hmm. which is wonderful. And I didn't know that until after I had seen it. Wow! So uh, now I really want to rewatch that scene and listen and be like, Jesus Christ, he was so earnest. <laughs> interesting i have all my diaries from those times still also and i've utilized them a lot in stand-up but i didn't ever even think i could utilize them in a movie and oh it's time to bring those direct quotes in <laughs> okay they're they're dramatic i was a i was very dramatic in all of my diaries and then you will relate to this one <laughs> Awesome. Oh, perfect. Uh, reason number three is 100% Sarah Paulson. She is killing it in this. Her acting is so damn good in it. Uh, I, I saw in an interview that this was the first time that she'd really improvised, mm -hmm. uh, which is shocking to me because she was so fucking good. And she mentioned how vulnerable that felt and how much trust it required. And that feeling of having that like small crew and that really small cast and getting to know each other before it really can like uh, contributed to that sense of trust I think yeah that's really interesting I'm always fascinated when really incredible actors say they had never improvised before because I'm like you know when you know something and you're like well this is easy anyone can do it but yes exactly like oh man I can improvise and Sarah Paulson can't I have something exactly. over Sarah Paulson it's so it's such a cool feeling. It's one of those rare times where you feel like the improv skills that you have like really are are vital and interesting and exciting and put you out. Uh, it's make you stand apart. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Yeah, that was like in um, uh, very different movie, Step Brothers. Uh, mm -hmm. Adam Scott plays like the shitty older brother to like Will Ferrell's character. Right, right, right. And he. And, you know, all those people are good at improvising. All of the Adam McKay movies were had lots of improv in them. But Adam Scott oh, yeah. had never improvised before. And he was, like, terrified. Oh, my God. Like, perfect. Was, yeah, like, he was really intimidated and, like, really worried that he was going to get fired. <laughs> oh, geez. That's so funny. Yeah, it's amazing yeah, it's not... about him. Because now you're like, oh, he's one of the best, like, comedic actors. But it was, like, so very good, fresh yeah. for him at that time. 
Yeah, it's it's exciting when you hear someone having like an interview about uh, when you hear an actor having an interview about acting and they're like, I did an improv. I did an improv <laughs> once. And I'm like, who are you? Ta- who are you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's so adorable. And then you're like, oh, yeah, this is actually super difficult. <laughs> well, we'll always have that going for us, Cozy. It's a good feeling. It's what makes this podcast so fun. <laughs> Aw. Hell yeah. Actors who don't know how to improvise doing this podcast, they would have sucked. Yeah, I'm go ahead it and say quit it. by now. We uh we know how to really keep the long con going. That long con of, of improv comedy. <laughs> <laughs> I like that a lot. We pulled something over on the audience. Uh okay, so <laughs> my fourth my fourth reason I've talked about a little bit already. Um, and that's the simplicity of it. Uh that it comes across in a couple ways. The the atmospheric music that plays. Uh, the fact that the movie is there are only three speaking role people in the entire movie and the only other people are in the background in a single scene, I think. Wow. And I forgot that anyone was in it. And then I saw at the end the credits and I just saw these background actors and I was like, when were they even there? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's so highly concentrated on the two of them and their relationship. And it's just wonderful. Mm. That's and, no, and not only that, like they both, sorry, oh, no. <laughs> not only that, like they both uh start out kind of a little stiff because one it's i believe filmed in sequence or at least potentially sequentially um and and they're just getting into that improv mode and two just because they haven't seen each other in so long there's this like little bit of stiffness that they kind of have to work through as they talk and kind of become more organic and break out of their old roles and into the people they were a little that's interesting though because that that works for the story because when you run into somebody from another time, you are kind of stilted with them at first. It's like running into a ghost. Oh, a hundred percent. Absolutely. And it's so there on the camera. That's, that's great. I love that. Oh, good. Um, and my fifth reason why you should see this, uh, specifically need to, uh, is that Duplass went into this movie uh, perfectly, purposefully super unprepared, just like a well of real experiences and some anxiety about fucking it up. And then they improvised. And that's me. That's a lot of my process for putting on shows. It's just you get up there. You're not really sure what the fuck's going to happen, but it doesn't matter because you have that trust. So who cares? Mm -hmm. And you do it and it's great. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's I love that he has that much um, openness in his work. Yeah, it was exciting to see him talking about it, and uh, and it brought me back a little to when I first sort of started relaxing into making shows feel the way that they feel now or did before all this. Mm. It's just that feeling of, cool, we're all on our feet, and it doesn't matter what happens because everything's perfect. <laughs> yeah, I had a really hard time with that with stand-up for a long time, and it really wasn't until mm. the last couple of years where I was finally able to be like, it's okay if you don't have every line of this memorized. Like you yeah. build something with the audience. And uh, that was something that really took a lot of practice. Cause before that I had just aggressively memorized every single word of what I was going to be saying. And if I didn't have it well memorized, I would be like a nervous wreck leading up. To oh, the show. of course. And yeah, I get, I can definitely relate to that. It's, it's a hard hump to get over. It's like trusting that you know what you're doing, which took me yeah. a long time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, for me, for me, it was even though I didn't ever do stand up, it was uh, similar in in sketch comedy and also similar 
in producing shows where I gradually, in both of those situations, learned how to not give as much of a fuck about uh, things going wrong or forgetting a line or mm-hmm. like they don't, nothing feels alive without that. Yes. Yeah. Too, too stilted, like you were saying, but not in a helpful oh, way. Oh, 100%. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Like I, I as sketch as a medium felt like such a dead wooden medium until I was like, I have to have fucking fun in this and I have to find ways to make pre-written material have like feel fun. Yes, totally. And even and like even more what I've noticed most, uh, I've noticed that most in uh, like script readings for mm-hmm. for people out there who have uh, done script readings before, like live staged readings of pilots or, or plays or whatever. Um, the only times to me that those ever feel alive is when someone fucks up a word or does a meta comment. And that's when people, the only time people are almost ever laughing during comedies. <laughs> yeah, that's such a good point. Thanks. So I recommend that for anybody who's doing a stage reading at any point soon, uh, fuck something up or make a comment. Have fun. <laughs> yeah, it is really, stage readings are very are difficult. Yeah, they really are. It's fast. They're fascinating to me because they don't come up often, but that's a format I'd be interested in learning more about too. The last one that I did, I was supposed to be British and I am, oh no, I'm sorry. This, I was supposed to be Southern, but my like (laughs) Southern accent kept going between (laughs) Southern and like a little British or like a little Australian. Amazing. Each line, because I hadn't, I maybe only had the script for like a week beforehand. It was like a reading at UCB. So it wasn't like a really long rehearsed thing. Right. And so I just, I didn't have like a vocal cord coach or anything. Mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, of course I can do a Southern accent. But it's like way harder when you're not just like making it up. Like when you're reading with an accent, I find a lot harder than if you're just doing it in improv. Uh, Interesting. So as I was reading, the the, the twang like kept changing. And <laughs> that ended up being very funny. <laughs> That's so good. I love it. Yeah, that organic stuff that proves that you're in the moment. But yeah, I was extremely embarrassed the entire time. And then... Uh, the person whose script it was was like, I loved it. And I was like, okay, thanks. <laughs> of course. I'm sure everybody did. That's the best part. The embarrassment is always self-contained. Oh, well, that's, I appreciate that. I, I still get, oh. I get very embarrassed when I mess things up still. Oh my God. It's the best. I love it when people mess stuff up. I'm a, I'm a copy editor and nothing is more entertaining to me than when people fuck up words in copy that I'm reading. <laughs> uh it's like uh, like i i would say that there are maybe what three there uh, okay so it's like to me it feels like there are two people out there there are people who are like grammar nazis and they get everything right and they really really care when other people fuck things up and then there are people who just don't really care and i feel like i'm the third type of person which is the grammar nazi who has become a human and loves it when that stuff happens now Interesting. I am the first person. I'm very strict, <laughs> very judgmental. 
but oh well i'm not mean to people if i can recommend it, it. <laughs> yeah no yours i feel like is the way that you live longer is trying to yeah like, loosen your fucking grip a little bit uh, exactly it's it takes work but it's so fun <laughs> it's definitely i feel like i veer but i have no middle ground i work in extremes so i veer between <laughs> truly not giving a fuck to like giving a fuck so hard that now my chest hurts so i feel like that's what happens with most people who who give a fuck is they are really really binary in that way they're really like they don't see a middle no i i i'm working on it but i'm not so far the middle is a legendary place to me like purgatory i've only heard of it (laughs) i've never traversed space oh well hope i'm hoping for you that one day you find that map thank you if anyone's gonna get me there it's you cozy I really do. I would love that. That would make me so happy. I'm I'm here for that for people because it's such a freeing feeling. Good God. <laughs> uh, wait, so do you have one more um, reason? Yes. Uh, here's the thing. Uh, well done because I have a bonus reason. Oh, I hit my five. Yes. And this is a bonus reason. Ding, ding, nice. ding, ding. Way to call my bonus reason. I love it. Uh, and that is that they mentioned Tucson, which is my hometown. Aww. So even though... They yeah, even though where they are isn't where I'm from, it's still ringing that same hometown bell for me. I love that. I uh, anytime I hear Tucson, I used to just think Romy and Michelle because that's where they're from. Oh um, uh, yeah. But now in my brain, when I hear Tucson, I picture you and Romy and Michelle, like you all went to high school <laughs> together. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I did. I saw that movie like five times in the theater. Yes, me. I saw it once in the theater, but then as soon as it came out on tape my parents got it for me and then I watched it every single week until like, I don't know, a year ago and I got too busy. <laughs> oh, such a damn classic. So good. <laughs> uh, um, okay. So those are all my reasons. Are you convinced? I'm convinced. Woo. Fantastic. This, yeah. This is kind of a gimme for you. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I really considered being more of a hard ass when we started recording uh, to make it seem more like, will she, won't she? But I just, sure. everything you said, I'm just like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that's me. Yep, that's me. I care about that. Mm-hmm. More, 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 more. Like, I just want to spread this movie all over my face like a thick night cream. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited. Oh, good. And it's on I'm so glad. It's on Netflix, right? It is on Netflix. Super watchable. Can it be easier? There's no way to make it easier. Oh, it's so viewable. Oh, well, I'm so happy to hear that. I'm excited for you watching this. I definitely cried watching this again. Aww. Uh it was oh, brought out all the feelings in me in a couple moments. Mm, I love um, crying. Oh, good. Then this is a good one for you. Thank you for bringing it to my attention. Oh, all about it. That's one of the things that I've had to do with this movie for everybody because no one has heard about it so oh i'm so excited um if you're one of the rare rare people who have seen blue jay let us know on facebook twitter or instagram let us know what you think of the movie uh make sure to follow us on there tell us what we need to see and of course join the facebook group to talk about movies with us uh lucy do you have any recommendations for people this week oh i have a recommendation i have a really good recommendation so last night Isaac and I watched Just Mercy, the film um, about the famous uh, civil rights attorney, Brian Stevenson. It's starring Michael B. Jordan and Jamie Foxx. So Michael B. Jordan plays Brian Stevenson, 
who's a founder and executive director of uh, the Equal Justice Initiative, which is a, a really cool organization in Alabama that fights on behalf of death row inmates who have been like basically wrongly, uh, wrongly accused. Like, so basically one in nine people who are on death row have been uh, proven to have not done the crime. They're innocent. Uh, oh, wow. Wrongly Jeez. imprisoned and wrongly on death row. And so that's what just mercy is about. Uh, Warner brothers made it free. Um, during the protests recently, they announced that it was going to be free to stream for anybody as anti-racist education. Um, awesome. So I was like already, it was already on my list, but I was like, what I can do right now, since I'm, I'm still working full time um, and I have a very broken body. So I haven't been going to the protests. I've been donating money and supplies, but I was like, I can just keep you know, working on my anti-racist education by reading and consuming films and things that will continue to educate me. So I was already a prison abolitionist and very staunchly against the death penalty. And like, I just can't, this movie is so powerful. It's so, it's so well done that like me, a person who's pretty radical, uh, very left. I was just like, I need to add the death penalty now in every state. Like I'm going <laughs> on a walking tour of America. To end <laughs> like I was so worked up that I was like stood up on the couch, like at one moment where I just wanted to like jump into the screen. Um, it is such a good film. Like one of the things I really liked about it is that uh, a lot of Hollywood films that are about racism tend to center white people and there's like a white savior that makes it better like the nice oh, right. person like in the help or green book where it's like everyone's sure. racist but this really nice white guy some white people are <laughs> nice and like this movie didn't have that which i really like brie larson is in it also but she's like a super super side character oh. um i also really liked that this movie was very serious but it was extremely it's pg-13 it's extremely accessible so like oh that's good i i like i said i was already like pretty educated about the problems with the death penalty but there's like a bunch of stuff i hadn't considered and the things that came up were so clearly stated i didn't feel like I wanted to do more reading, obviously, but I didn't feel like I had to. I felt like I learned so much from the movie, which is, I think, really great for people who are new to this concept. Uh, and it's not dry at the same time, but then it's also not like weird swells of music and like super maudlin or like over dramatic. So it it strikes this nice balance between being serious, entertaining, and then not like really Hollywoody melodramatic, which I think is cool. That's um, great. Because yeah. every time I see, uh, every, when I was a kid and sort of growing up, I always saw, uh, you know, trailers for law-based movies. And to mm -hmm. me, I was always like, these seem stiff and boring. No, thank you. Oh. So, yeah. Yeah. No, I, it's not, it's not boring at all. And I think a lot of that is like, every performance is great. Like, I think Michael B. Jordan, like, can't do anything wrong like he's perfect in everything that he does but oh yeah Jamie fox is an actor that i i just his films have never really spoken to me i mean he was great in ray of course but mm -hmm. a lot of the stuff he does it just wasn't there weren't subject matters that i cared about um but like man he fucking 
owns this film. He, he, I forgot that I was watching Jamie Foxx. Like he is a hundred percent like doing some like acting that I've never even seen. I think it goes beyond what he did in Ray. Uh, it's very, 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 very good. So I think it's extremely entertaining while also being like super important for this moment and all moments as we talk about the role of uh, our carceral system and how to end it and how to move towards uh, more humane ways of, you know, caring and rehabilitating people. Great. That's fantastic. That seems like a, sounds like a perfect recommendation for right now. Yeah. Everybody watch it. It's free. Uh, you have no excuse not to. Oh, and perfect. I wanted to say one more thing about it that I think is important for our listeners mm-hmm. is that while it is, it does clearly show injustice, uh, it doesn't fetishize or linger on like black pain and black trauma, which I think is important, mm. especially for any of our uh, black listeners who are like, I don't need to see more black people getting, you know, abused because we absolutely don't. Um, and I, I do like that this movie isn't like a lot of slavery movies that are like, yes, look at these black bodies be hurt. Like because the uh, filmmakers were people of color also, and they worked closely with um, Brian Stevenson who wrote, the book that the movie is based on it felt like it was very thoughtful and humane and that you don't have to witness like such extreme fetishization of black pain that does sound like a good thing absolutely well uh maybe we'll do it for a future episode because everybody you need to see it nice sounds good uh my recommendation yeah my recommendation for uh for this week um is to contribute to the movement in ways that only you can um i was thinking about this for a while uh because i found myself not really knowing there's no there's no wrong way to contribute as long as you're contributing but i found myself for some reason wanting to help in a specific me way instead of just kind of echoing what everybody else is echoing because there's almost a hollowness to echoing on some level, even though it's also important. It's a weird thing. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. You don't want to just say the same thing everybody's been saying, because at a point you're like, what is my belief? And am I just parroting other things? Yeah, and it can feel like a platitude or something instead of actually feeling meaningful. Yes, totally. Yeah, and that's really what I wanted to do. And I was like, what can I do to specifically contribute uh, in, in a me way? And then I remembered, um, I saw someone posting about uh, like black authors and like following their work. And I was like, oh, I'm a huge nerd for like punk music and emo and all that stuff. I can recommend like punk and emo bands that have black members that you should be like supporting and I can like signal boost them. So I put together a big list on my, uh, on Scene Kids's uh, uh, Facebook page. Oh, cool. And yeah, and I like, I put together a list of like 19 bands that have black members and uh, and I tagged those bands and um, and I was like, everybody pay attention. Like these are people you should be uh, giving money to and supporting. And also mentioned that on Bandcamp um, on the, uh, on Juneteenth on uh, the, on the 19th of June uh, on Bandcamp, they're going to donate all the, uh, all their share of the profits to, I believe it's NAACP. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I was really happy to see that. And I also told people uh, for for last Friday, uh, Bandcamp was also waiving their share of the profits. So the money was also going directly to the bands, which is also another way of of supporting them, which is great. 
Yeah, that's incredible. And then Juneteenth, for people who don't know, um, was the it's the anniversary of the Emancipation Proclamation. Mm. Um, yeah. So it had been issued in January, but then it, it like went into effect in June 19th, uh, 1865. Ah, gotcha. Yeah, I always feel like that's a thing that I need to learn more about because I know little, but I, I could always learn so, so, so much more. Um, yeah, they, they, yeah. So on the 19th, they'll be donating a hundred percent of their share of sales to the NAACP legal defense fund specifically. Amazing. That's awesome. And actually I'll send you this link, um, maybe something to put into the show notes or post another time, but my friend shout out to, uh, Brandon Scott is a friend of the podcast. He sent me a link of a hundred black fronted punk bands. Oh, nice. Uh, Love it. Yeah, that I just started digging into. And a lot of them, a couple of them were the bands that Monica mentioned on our Decline of the Western Civilization episode a couple weeks ago. But a lot of them were bands I had not heard of. So I'm really psyched about it. Yeah, I feel like right now there are a lot of good articles going around with that. Like we posted uh, a, a link that I had seen a while ago um, of 20 black punk bands you need to listen to. And I remember like listening to those and being like, this is cool, but this isn't like the era of punk that I'm excited about. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I'm going to put my own list together too. So now we have both of those up and I was like, yes, let's get as many as possible without maybe, I always worry about drowning people in this stuff too. I don't want to put too much out there. So it feels intimidating to to look at or anything. It's very strange. Yes, definitely. Um, Also, I'm so sorry. I looked up Juneteenth to make sure I wasn't talking out of my ass and I was a little bit. So do you mind if I correct what I just said? (laughs) Please do. Um, Yeah, no, this is us being able to admit. (laughs) Yeah, no, I was half right. And I'm I'm really sorry. I didn't know it was going to come up. So I didn't uh, pull it up. So um, I'm just reading from Juneteenth.com. Juneteenth is the oldest nationally celebrated commemoration of the ending of slavery in the United States, dating Mm. back to 1865. So half right. Uh, It was on June 19th that the Union soldiers, led by Major General Gordon Granger, landed at Galveston, Texas, with the news that the war had ended and that the enslaved were now free. So this was uh, two and a half years after the Emancipation Proclamation. So Uh, I had, and this is important because I had no idea that (laughs) I'm like kind of speechless that it took this long for some people to even be told about that like how horrific these are people you know in slavery for two extra years because the news hadn't gotten to this part of texas yet yeah the whole process of that is so terrifying every time i think about uh like the history of how long it took to really make that stuff go into a into effect and to Mm -hmm. really make sure that everyone was fucking actually following it it's Mm. like it's it's very different from from what it always makes me think of. It's very very different from um, pushing for um, fighting fighting sexual like sexual harassment law in the workplace is one of those things that it makes me think of, even though they're very different, because the laws have come into effect, but it's taken so fucking long for them to even actually matter to so many people. Oh yeah, and to be able to actually have any type of uh, repercussion. Exactly. Yeah. So it's it's like such a long journey from change to actual change. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Supposedly, like one of the theories is that the messenger who was sent to Texas was murdered 
Jesus, of course. So the information was deliberately withheld so that they could maintain their labor force. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me even slightly. No, 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 not not at all. Of course, like yeah. um, So so Juneteenth is definitely something that um, Black communities have been celebrating forever, and I think that white people are you know hearing about more and more. And this is like a really great way to stand, um, you know, by and support by spending money, (laughs) giving black people money, give people reparations, and I definitely you know pay for bail out and send money to the movement. But I do think sending money to black artists specifically is really important because black art and black joy matter as much. And like, you know, that's a way we can help people thrive like individual people, which is also. Yeah, absolutely. And so many people have been like shut out of, out of it because of gatekeepers. And exactly. feels like right now is such a good time to fucking I mean, that's the thing. There's no bad time as long as it fucking happens. <laughs> yeah, I mean, are we uh, extremely late? Absolutely, but yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, God. Starting um, now and forever, give Black people your money. <laughs> yes, 100%. Uh, so, Luce, do you have any plugs? Oh, you know, I am barely hanging on. Uh, my plug is just that, you know what? Hey, I'm I'm at the video store many days a week now. Come support Videotech Small Business. Uh, We've got an incredible amount of films made by Black filmmakers. Uh, We have a diverse workforce. Uh, Come come visit. Come spend some money in a local business and say hi to me. (laughs) That's awesome. Definitely go do that. I have no plugs. I have no plugs for me. My plug is also do that. (laughs) Hell yeah. Uh, I know that Cozy, you're not leaving your house for anyone right now, but I, I know you're there in spirit. That's exactly it. A hundred percent. Yeah. I don't even have a bus pass at this point. It's very <laughs> strange. No car, no bus pass. That's fine. Just stay, walking. Stay home. If, uh, you know, take care of yourself, unless you ever going to the protests and go to the protests or unless you work uh, at a video 100%. store. <laughs> yep. There you go. A hundred percent. Um, and I want to, I want to let everybody know out there that we would 100% very much love, uh, reviews on mm. iTunes. Yes, we please. would love it. Yes. Get that algorithm up. Um, like us, five star us, do all the things that you can do on the internet. Uh, and like word of mouth is really cool. Like if you know people who really are into movies and you like this and you haven't told them about this thing, like tell them movie fans like this. Yeah. And we really (laughs) just want to talk to other people who like movies. So we really, really do. And then we have Uh, a new review, right? That's right. Speaking of reviews, we have a new one. Uh, I'm going to read it right now. It's going to be pretty great. Uh, this review uh, is from Nightmare Natasha, and it is, and it says you need to listen to this, which is great. I love that. Um, and what it says is, hosts Luce and Cozy are incredibly organized, well researched, and funny to boot. Funny's in all caps. I like that. They are an absolute joy to listen to. Get your film recommendations here, y'all. Love it. Very nice. Thank you. I am Thank going you, to Natasha. I'm going to infer that that's from our guest, Natasha. <laughs> What? That sounds crazy and impossible. <laughs> From our Spookies episode last week, which uh, <laughs> I just was one of my favorite episodes in a long time. So thank you for the nice review, Natasha. And thank you for being our guest. If you haven't listened to our Spookies episode yet from last week, please do. And please, yeah, please leave us another review. Every Every bit helps people find us. It really does. Thank you so much. And also, special thanks to our audio engineer, Pete Burns, for being wonderful and doing good things. We love you, Pete. Pete's doing a lot. Uh, Pete's going to protest. 
He's helping protesters. He's on the front lines. So thank you for making sure people hear us. And thank you for making sure our communities are safe and justice is seen. Really appreciate you, Pete. We appreciate you, Pete. Absolutely. You need to Pete this. Yes, you need to Pete this. Amazing. (laughs) No, I won't let that happen. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we, we talk about that all the time. You know, it's real. That is one of our text threads, I think. (laughs) Oh, my God. Um, Thank you all so much for listening to whatever the name of this show is. You need to find this and look at it. You need to see this. Oh, yeah. You need to see this. Take the oldest, neediest, most anxious, broken down greyhound, and if you take that dog to the beach and you take off his collar, he will just fucking run. (laughs) (laughs) Like he was still young. Yeah. Just tear down that beach. It was like sand flying and tongue is hanging out of his mouth and he's just so... I don't know, it's so beautiful.